How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. We've got another big show lined up for you tonight. First up, Carter Worth might have found a true marvel in Marvell technology. He'll chart that course. Then Tony Zhang explores the volatility around another possible COVID cure candidate, and he'll outline a way to proceed with caution. Plus, as the saying goes, you don't know what you don't know. Mike Coe takes a special step back and dives deep inside the calculations and implications of implied volatility. Find out why you might want to review the fundamentals. It's time to risk less to make more. And let's get right to it. Semi-stock's getting a boost this week as strong earnings results from names like NVIDIA helped restore some investor confidence in the space. The SMH ETF that tracks the group closing the week in the green. It is also now less than 10% away from its 52-week highs. So if you're looking for a way to play catch-up in the space, our chart master, Carter Worth, has a marvelous pick for you. Carter, take it away. That's right. Um, the trade here is to find within a laggard group, and meaning semis are good, but they've really lagged the tech sector by almost 800 basis points year to date. And then Marvell within it uh, acting quite well. But a few uh, of charts and let's go. So the first is, a, is a, uh, a table. Just to give the facts and figures, we know there are 30 stocks in the uh, SOX index, and we know its value total, $1.65 trillion. Now, if you look at the second slide, and this is the issue, the semis are still some 9.5% below their peak, and only five stocks have made new 52-week highs, Marvell being one of them. Actually, at the time of, of writing, uh, Marvell was 1.5% above its February peak. It closed up 4.5%, so big surge into the close, best performer on the day. That usually is a good setup. So one of three charts. The first, take a look at a, a simple uh, way to annotate. Well-defined tops at a common level. Note the authority of the 28 level. And this stock is just breaking out $30.13 on the close. Uh, very constructive. But the breakout in principle has more to go. Now take it another way. Next chart, the way to draw the lines. Basically, you had a range-bound security stuck between 28 and 22. And then you get this plunge, market-related. It drops 40 50%. And now it's recovered all that ground and is broken out to a new high. We think the breakout has legs. And then finally, relative performance. And this is really the opportunity. Marvell on top, last chart, and its relative performance to the SMH. Marvell underperformed for almost 10 months and now is starting to show impressive relative performance to its peers. Again, one of only five to make a new high. We like this a lot. Uh, aggressive move today, but we think it foreshadows even more to come on an earnings beat. All right. So, Mike, what's the trade on this? Yeah, it's interesting. First of all, I think I should give a little shout out to Carter. It's tough because here he's caught chasing a stock that's up, you know, 3% or so just today. And this was a name that he liked when I was talking to him earlier this morning. So he's probably a little bit frustrated that uh, here's a bullish call he's making and, and we've already seen such a big pop. But that seems to be confirming what he's talking about. So we've got earnings coming out next week. 
And here's the thing, you know, one of the reasons the stock may have performed relatively poorly over the preceding 10 months that he was talking about was that, you know, there was still some basically EPS issues. But looking forward, you know, this is a company that's probably going to be making close to a dollar and a half in EPS in about 18 months time on a run rate basis. So that makes the company actually not very expensive when you take a look at it on a fundamental basis. Right now, options aren't extremely expensive either going into next week's earnings because this is a stock that has moved an average of about 5%. That's currently what the options market is implying, which suggests that options are very reasonably priced given everything else that's going on. So given the fact that we're looking at making a bullish bet in a stock that has already had such a strong move, I think the way we want to play this is with a call spread because the options are reasonably priced. I was looking at the June 30, 34 call spread. That would cost about $1.20 to put that trade on. So by doing this, we have upside exposure up to 34, which happens to be one of the most recently revised price targets. One of the analysts that's covering the stock that just happened to come out with that price target today. So we're basically trying to look to a move up to around 33, $34, up about 10 or a little bit more percent trying to take advantage of the fact that options aren't overly expensive and also not trying to reach out and just go out and purchase stocks that are trading at all-time highs. Tony, do you like this stock and what do you think of Mike's trade? So first of all, I really like this chart setup. I really like this play that Carter's identified. You have this massive top at 28 that it just broke out of above and you have strong relative strength as he said I think that's a good recipe for a of a move higher going into earnings now Mike's trade I actually really like I like even more because of the fact that he sold that $34 call option for 50 cents he was able to offset almost a third of the cost of buying that June $30 call option so now he's only risking 3% of the underlying stock price on an earnings play which is pretty rare to be able to risk that small of amount so even even if this trade doesn't work out and the stock breaks below 28, you're only risking 3% to try to make almost two and a half times that if this trade does rally on earnings. I mean, the benefit to this one, Mike, is that we've already gotten some semiconductor names that have reported earnings that operate in similar end markets, and their commentary has been pretty good about, about those end markets. And so that could actually help Marvell and this trade as it goes into earnings. Yeah. I no, I think you're exactly right. Of course, it has helped the stock. Yeah. I think if we take a look at how the stock has behaved this week, we've actually seen that it has traded higher, even ahead of its own earnings report, basically on the backs of a lot of the things that we're hearing out of other parts of the industry. And of course, that's one of the reasons we want to use options going into their own earnings report, because in the off chance that they happen to announce something a little bit idiosyncratic to them, not so much related to other chip makers, then this is a situation where we're mitigating our downside exposure by doing this. And you know, as Tony pointed out, in a high volatility market environment like the one we've got, it's not that easy to find cheap options plays. But all things considered, this one is very fairly priced. All right, let's move on from big tech to biotech. It has been a crazy week for the space, which has flown all over the map on a series of headlines surrounding Moderna. That stock shot up 20 percent on positive news regarding a potential COVID-19 vaccine before spending the rest of the week crashing back to earth as its data came under the microscope. But if you think there could be more to the story in the space... Mike, uh, Tony, excuse me, has a plan. Tony? Yeah, so we've been seeing a lot of news out of companies that have been working on vaccines for COVID-19. It's been driving a lot of the bullish sentiment we've seen in the markets this week. But there are a handful of biotech companies that are working on treatments with existing drugs for some of the symptoms for COVID-19. And that's really what I wanted to take a look at here. The company I want to take a look at here is Insight, who has a Phase three clinical trial right now with Novartis using their drug Jacify to treat the lung damage or to to reduce the lung damage of 
COVID-19 patients. And this is something that I think is quite interesting to take a look at, because if you see that the clinical trial announcement lines up with the technical chart breaking out above the $95 resistance level, it spent the last month consolidating between 95 and 105, and I think it's prime now for a potential breakout higher. And if we look at Insight's implied volatility, which is the measurement of its uh, expected future uh, volatility of the stock, and it's also a way that we use to measure the cheapness or expensiveness of an option, Insight has been trading between roughly 30 to 40% vol, even though it's fairly off its high of peak of around 70%. Insight's implied volatility, or the options here, are not particularly cheap. So the trade structure that I want to utilize here to take a bullish view on Insight is to use a similar trade structure that Mike just used for Marvell and using a call spread here. And I'm going out to July, and I'm buying the July 110 calls for about $5.50, and I'm selling the July 115 calls against that for about 90 cents. Net net here, I'm paying about $4.60, which is roughly about 4.5% of the underlying stock price. And the reason I'm doing this is because whenever you bet on these types of biotech clinical trials, they tend to be more of a binary event that either work out or don't. And I want to make sure that I'm risking the smallest amount possible. And the fact that Insight is currently trading at a relatively elevated implied volatility. I also want to make sure that I'm selling some premium. That's why I'm selling that July 115 call against it. It offsets about a fifth of the, co- of the cost of that long call, reducing my risk here on this particular bet to just about 4.5% of the underlying stock price. Carter, what do you make of the, the Insight chart? Well, what I think uh, has to be said, and this is the really constructive thing, is, is that, yes, it's a breakout candidate, but it's a massive laggard that's coming to life. We know that essentially biotech, IBB, is making all-time highs, and yet this stock peaked at 153 uh, as far back as two, three years ago, and here it is only at 100, meaning it's got the one-two setup of underperformance over a long period of time, and now pretty important outperformance. It looks just great. Mike, what do you think of the trade? Well, I think Tony's exactly right. You know, this is one of these situations where you have a binary potential outcome if it's a specific drug related. Of course, this is a company that a lot of people thought might make as much as four bucks in EPS going out about a year or so, which wouldn't make it overwhelmingly expensive. And it isn't a one trick pony in that sense. And it's not necessarily just playing off of a vaccine. So if you're inclined to make a bullish bet, I don't really have much of a view on insight. I have no insight on insight, I guess you could say. (laughs) But I do like the way Tony is structuring the trade. All right. Still to come. Just what are you implying? Why you should be asking yourself that question. Professor Mike Coe schools us with a little reflection on the fundamentals of this game and, of course, illustrates them with a real-world case study. Hold on to your pencils. And for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our super cool newsletter. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.
Welcome back to Options Action. Volatility is the name of the game in the stock market this year. But when it comes to trading options, the VIX is really just the tip of the iceberg. So if you're joining us for the very first time tonight, or maybe you're a seasoned vet with nothing more than the back of a napkin in front of you, Mike Coe is here to guide you through the nuts and bolts of options pricing and a way to play one of the market's worst performing sectors. So, Professor Mike, take it away. Yeah, so we, you probably hear us talk about implied volatility quite a lot. And what is implied volatility? Well, it is the annualized standard deviations of the movement of the underlying securities. That sounds like quite a mouthful, and it is, but it doesn't need to be that complicated. We can break it down into some simpler ideas. So the first thing to think about is that options are a form of insurance, if you will, on stocks and ETFs and indices. So basically, the more that those move around, the more volatile they are, the higher those premiums are going to be. And that's one of the reasons that options traders tend to think about the implied volatility as basically the price of options. So for people who are at home trying to figure out how they can think about it, the thing to do is actually use a back-of-the-napkin calculation to see how much the options market is expecting something to move around by looking at the cost of a straddle. What's a straddle? That's when you combine a call and a put of the same strike and expiration. So if we take a look, for example, at XLF, the financial ETF, we can look at the at the money straddle. So when I was looking at this earlier today, it was trading very close to about $22 per share. So I'm going to look at the June 22 call and the June 22 put. When I was looking at this earlier today, that straddle cost about $1.65. So that represents about 7.5% of the current stock price. And you can think about that as how much the options market is expecting this thing is going to move on average between now and June expiration. And to put things in perspective, before we had all of this pandemic, the at the money straddle with XLF trading over $30 was just 3.2% of the price. So that gives you a sense of how much higher options premiums are now than they were before all of this broke out. Now, as it happens, I'm not particularly constructive on financials, despite the fact that they've seen these big declines. A lot of the things that are going on right now will continue to present a headwind. Now, a lot of people are going to have exposure to financials. Maybe you own the S&P 500. Maybe you own J.P. Morgan, which is the best of breed amongst the big banks. But you want to have some way to hedge that exposure. So I was actually taking a look at the July 2118 put spread. When I was looking at this earlier today, you could spend just 60 cents to put that on. Why are we going to use a put spread rather than just buying puts? Well, exactly what I was just talking about. Options premiums are more than double now what they were basically in the middle of February. The other thing is that if we get any kind of a V-shaped bottom where we get some really remarkably good news and these things take off, you don't want to be short these stocks outright. So if you have exposure to the space, you want to hang on to it, but you want to hedge it, using XLF put spreads might be a good way to play it. That was a very good explainer, Mike. Uh, Tony, what are your thoughts on using volatility uh, here to, to figure out the movement in stocks? So it makes a lot of sense. And if you look at XLF's uh, implied volatility, right now it's actually still fairly elevated. Financials is actually one of the only sectors that I currently have some short positions in because if you look at the chart here, XLF is actually the only sector outside of energy that's still trading below the December 2018 low. So I agree with the directional view here. But because of the fact that XLF's 
implied volatility is still fairly elevated here. My preference here is actually selling premium, and partially because the fact that Mike's trade requires a fairly sizable move to the downside in order for it to be profitable. I'm not as bearish on XLF. I'm simply not bullish on XLF. So my preference here is to identify weaker names within the sector, such as Wells Fargo or even Goldman Sachs, and I'm selling calls credit spreads on this on this on these particular names because if these stocks just stay where they are and move mildly lower, I'm still able to be profitable on these types of trades. We're showing them, Mike, but can you walk us through, actually walk us through the levels of your XLF trade? Yeah, sure. I was looking at buying the July 21 puts. When I was looking at those, those would cost about 90 cents per contract. And the 18 puts that I would sell against it were about 30 cents, roughly a third of the premium that I was spending to buy the higher strike put. I'm collecting by selling the lower strike one. That's how I got to that 60 cent net debit. Now, a quick counterpoint, I would say, to what Tony is suggesting. And it's important to remember, when you're dealing with financials, you are dealing with immense balance sheets. Small differences on those balance sheets make a big difference to the equity. That's one of the reasons why during the credit crisis they started to swing around so violently. You can see very steady earnings for a long time, but if you start having credit problems or if you start seeing basically the book value of these companies deteriorate, it can have a really meaningful impact. And, of course, we have to think about the headwinds, net interest margins, credit quality on the balance sheet, whether they're going to have good C&I loans. There's a lot of things that don't look that great for the space. And so just the fact that it's come in doesn't necessarily mean that they're all that cheap. Carter, your take on the XLF? Well, the real problem, of course, is that if you think of the financial crisis, the peak in 07 to the plunge of 09, this sector, the S&P 500 financial sector, never could even get back above its 07i, and now we've plunged again. And it's not just banks. It's asset managers. It's the consumer finance names, even the property casualty, life health insurers, uh, all of it. There's uh, something wrong. Uh, relative performance is poor. And you heard Tony. I mean, uh, it's one area he remained short. We love it on the short side. No reason to be buying. What does that mean for your view on the broader markets, Carter? Pretty dismal, huh? Well, at some point, right, we, we know that banks are, are sort of the, uh, uh, the transmission mechanism for the economy, and something has to uh, get solved here. It cannot just all go into Microsoft and Apple and Facebook and so forth. Top yeah. five names are now almost 23% of the S&P. Final word, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that there are some parts of the economy that are continuing to work, and there are some that are clearly broken, like energy. But, you know, I think financials are kind of a no-touch here unless you're using it in a hedged capacity because they have so much exposure, and we don't entirely know at this point what that exposure is. All right. Coming up next, Target hitting the mark on its earnings this week, but the stock is still sitting in the red. We'll tell you what the move means for one of our options traders. Plus, we're taking your tweets, so send us questions at Options Action. We will answer some of them on air. We are back right after this. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back to Options Actions. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. Now, just last week, Tony bet that Target might hit the earnings bullseye. 
The stock managed to break back above 118 earlier this week, retested it as support earlier to, uh, on Thursday, and is now starting to trade higher. And if you couple that with the recent relative strength of this particular stock, I think it's fairly well positioned going into earnings next week. By going out to the May 29th weekly options, and I'm selling the 121-114 put vertical. Now, Target is down almost 3% this week on the back of its earnings report, and this trade dropped into the red later in the day. So, Tony, what do you do now? Yeah, so Target's earnings report actually was quite spectacular, but as you said, the stock pulled back. It's now below that 118 support level that I had mentioned on that trade. So at this point, I think it's time to cut your losses on this particular trade. At the moment, this trade is still pretty much flat, so you're not losing a lot of money, but it's time to cut your losses and move on. Uh, Carter, would you agree on that in terms of the chart? Yes. I mean, it's a flare-up like that. It was very strong, and then it faded so aggressively. We know Walmart did the same thing. It kind of puts a cap on it. All right. Well, Mike said one trouble travel stock was headed nowhere fast. We don't see real ends in sight for this either. The pressure that they're under is going to require not only a reopening, but then, of course, for travelers to decide that that's where they're going to focus their time and attention and basically re-engage in that way. The one thing I would say prevents this from really falling out, and one of the things that people can take a look at, is that private equity has been investing in the space. I was just looking at the May 65 weekly, the ones that expire next week, May 22nd, 65 puts, selling those and then buying the Junes. Net-net, that would cost about $2.75. Now, a couple of things have happened since then. Expedia rocketed higher on Moderna's hopeful vaccine news, and the first leg of Mike's trade expired, leaving him long that June put. So, Mike, what's the story of this trade now? Yeah, so I think that's a great point. When Moderna's news came out on Monday, every single name in this space rocketed higher. They were all up about 15 to 20 percent, which means that if you were watching the show last Friday, it was never trading anywhere close to 65 or 66 dollars, which is where the stock was when we referenced this trade. And actually, you should be sure to follow all of us on Twitter and also follow Options Action on Twitter because... Result, as a result of that spike, I actually adjusted the trade and did the 73.75, selling the 73s in the weeklies and long the 75s. And that actually worked out fine because the stock actually traded basically dead sideways, kind of what we were expecting anyway. So be sure to follow us. And I think if you're long those other puts, you can stay with them and try to sell some more premium against it. All right. It is time now to take your tweets. It's one of our favorite segments of the show. Our first viewer asks us, the premise of last week's Intuit trade was that it was going to do what PayPal did. It didn't. So what do we do with Intuit now? That's a very good question. Uh, Carter, what do you make of the chart? Sure. So this is the hardest circumstance of all. If a stock breaks out, does what it's supposed to do when you're long, you know what to do. Either take the money and run or reduce. Or if it's totally wrong, it collapses. First loss, best loss, get out. This stock squeak went up 1%. That's not what we were playing for. So the earnings have come and gone. The catalyst has come and gone, but the pattern isn't damaged. So the hunch here is to stick with it, but just to push out your time frame. All right. So Mike, do you agree? Yeah, here, this is interesting because our trade structure, we're short a $10 put spread, risking about a little over 3% of the current stock price. So we're actually not taking a massive amount of risk by actually just sticking with the position that we have. We've got until June expiration. So we have some time and I'm going to stay with it. All right. Our next tweet, our next viewer asks, saw some unusual options activity this morning on MasterCard, 300 calls expiring May 29th. Does MasterCard have a chance of breaking out above 300 next week? Uh, Tony, what do you think? 
Um, so MasterCard got rejected at that 300 level early this week, but I do think MasterCard, with its strong relative strength and the credit card data we're currently looking at, has a pretty good chance of breaking above 300. Those calls do expire next week, so you don't have a lot of time. I think that if you want if you want to play that breakout, a call option is a great way to do so with limited risk. But I might go out a little further, maybe a week out further than May 29th. All right, time now for our final call. Last word from the options pits, Carter Braxton Worth. Marvell, marvelous. Elon. <laughs> a man of so few words. Uh, Mike Coe. Look, the way to play Marvell going into earnings, options aren't overpriced. You can use call spreads. The 30 34 call spread specifically in June was the one that I was looking at. Tony, your final call. I'm looking at Insight to beat earning a beat on uh, clinical trials here. I'm buying a call vertical spread. I'm going out to July. I'm buying the 100-115 call spread on Insight. All right, that does the rest here on Options Action. We're back next Friday. Don't go anywhere. Bonus Hour Fast is coming up next. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.